Welcome one and all to episode 157 of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we've had a uh, fun month off, but it's time to get back to work. How are you, How have you been, man? Um, I've been awesome. Uh, like you said, we've, we've taken some time off. Uh, most of that had to just do with scheduling conflicts, but then we also ran into, you know, our families having vacations. So it worked out. We're sorry that we've been away for so long, but June is kind of a month that where the draft news kind of takes a lull anyway. So um, we will be getting into, you know, we'll, we'll be ramping it up now that we're back. We're going to have conference and team previews. We're going to have a lot of uh, content coming up on our Patreon. Uh, so if you haven't subscribed to that, do so. We'll have a bonus episode this week as well. So, um, but yeah, it's been nice to have a little bit of, of, of a break, but I think I'm ready to talk some more football. Yeah, and today we're going to talk college football positional battles. We'll we'll discuss the uh, quarterback battles and how those can, you know, potentially impact the 2023 NFL draft. And then um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, make sure you uh, tune in this week as we'll talk other positions that could impact the 2023 NFL draft. Um, if you're not a subscriber we recommend getting in now uh two dollars a month that'll get you our extra show the four dollar month will get you all of justin's uh written previews um which he'll start to launch here in the next couple weeks as we talk a lot about the upcoming 2022 college football season that gets us really ready for the 2023 nfl draft so uh make sure you subscribe to that we appreciate everybody that does Let's kick this off, though, man. Um, quarterback one that was supposed to be quarterback one heading into this 2023 class is now going to have to hold off a freshman, um, DJ Ugalele. He, um, he sucked last year. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like, just flat out, he was not a good quarterback. Um, and they've got a five-star kid. Cade Klubnik that you know does he give them a better chance to win moving forward is this you know this is similar to me to what was going on with Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams right uh yeah similar except DJ Uangalele was uh even he he was worse than Rattler ever was at Oklahoma and I mean, this is a guy six five. He's two forty five, two fifty. He's got some mobility. He's got an arm. Um, but for whatever reason, it he just looked like he didn't know what he was doing sometimes last year, and he couldn't get the ball downfield. He just he just was not successful getting the ball down the field. Um, there's a lot of criticism about Clemson's system and how well. It, Clemson has has developed quarterbacks. We saw Trevor Lawrence struggle a little bit as a fresh as a rookie. Um, we'll see how he bounces back this year with a new coach and then not having to deal with Urban Meyer and all that mess. Um, but DJU only fifty five point six percent completion percentage, a extremely disappointing six yards per attempt, and only nine touchdown passes to ten interceptions. 
Clemson goes from perennial playoff contender with Lawrence and before Lawrence to Sean Watson. Um, and DJU takes them to the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando uh, where they played Iowa State. And actually was at the Cheez-It Bowl in person and he was not very impressive in person either. So you just have, you know, is Cade uh, Klubnik, is he... Uh, is he really a threat? You know, can DJ rebound and, and show some of the promise that he showed when he stepped in as a true freshman for a couple of games? And he really looked like he was going to be the next big thing at Clemson. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Klubnik, he's a five-star kid, um, at least by some recruiting uh, metrics. Yeah, so on so, 24-7 sports, Klubnik is the number one quarterback out of texas the number one quarterback in the nation and the number six quarterback overall um or sorry number six player overall he's the top quarterback in the class six two and a half lean at only 190 pounds um you know he was being pursued by all the big boys i'm gonna guess that that dju wins the battle to start um start the season right yes to start the season but how far that goes is really going to be interesting to watch because um i don't unless he has a drastic turnaround his play last year was was really abysmal i mean that was that was a tough season to watch. And like you said, that that kind of took the wind out of the cells of what you had seen from uh, Clemson over the last couple of years, which you know made him one of the best one of the best uh, colleges in the country. I mean, we were talking about Clemson, Ohio State, and Bama every year. And and it was, you know, who got to play Bama in the title game? Was it Clemson or Ohio State? And and now they're almost, it almost seems like they're close to being an afterthought at this point. Right. I mean, they, they did not, did, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't win the ACC last year, right? That was the uh, Kenny Pickett-led Pittsburgh uh, Panthers. Exactly. So, um, yeah, you know, DJ is just going to have to play better, like you said. And um, he's got the skill, um, physical talent, the tools. But he played like a player who didn't have any confidence. And he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't pushing the ball down the field. He wasn't using any of that physical ability that he has. Um, and I, I'm sure that people who study X's and O's could could – uh, you know, who know more than I do about that kind of thing could um, tell you that the way Clemson was calling the game for him wasn't ideal. But when the player doesn't have confidence in himself, it's hard for the coaching staff to have confidence in the player. And I think that's really what I saw when I watched him. He just looked like he looked like he was overthinking everything. He looked a little bit too coached up, uh, a little bit mechanical, robotic, and slow in processing everything 
and it, it resulted in a lot of uh, pressure on him, a lot of late sacks, a lot of bad throws, and a lot of checkdowns. So he just wasn't accurate. He, he didn't play up to his capability. I think there's still something there um, with him. But, you know, it was funny. I saw like a way too early mock draft by uh, Jason McIntyre of the big lead. and. He had, uh, you know, something ridiculous like six quarterbacks going in the top ten, and DJU was was one of the first four quarterbacks off the board. And I thought you're really, really projecting to have DJU um, involved in in the first round of any mock draft at this point. Quite quite frankly, him getting drafted would be a shock at this point, or him declaring as a you know he's going to be a junior. Yeah, right. That's that's what I should have said. Him. Him declaring would be a shock because he just hasn't played well enough. Yeah, he's got to have a big year this year. And like you said, he's going to have to play better than he did last year just to hold off this true freshman who, as you described, doesn't even have the you know physical body type right now to go out there and play college football. He's, this kid is uh, you know 195 pounds. Um, Bo Nix, man, we, one of the hottest takes we read last year was Jordan Palmer talking about Bo Nix and uh, then of Auburn saying essentially that Bo Nix has all the talent necessary to win the Heisman and be the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. Well, as we know now, Bo Nix did not declare for the 2022 draft. Instead, he remained in school, but he didn't remain at Auburn. He's transferring now. He's going to Oregon. And uh, as we're talking about these position battles, of course, we're focusing on the part of the position battle that is draft eligible, as we did with DJU. Um, Bo Nix is also going to have to to stave off some uh, underclassmen who aren't going to be draft eligible. Um, obviously, I don't think he's he's like we said, one of the hottest takes last year, we never thought he was going to be close to number one overall pick. Um, 61% completion percentage last year, seven yards per attempt, 11 TDs, three picks. He got ended the season injured. He's going to Oregon. He's going to be the Ducks new quarterback. Does he have the inside track to be the starter? I, I mean, I would assume he transferred there to be the starter but you know they've got two big recruits um former four-star recruit out of arizona ty thompson um came out at 64215 sat last year behind what was pretty porous quarterback play at, at oregon and and you know dan lanning their new head coach has talked quite a bit that they need to improve the quarterback position um, and quite frankly, Lanning's going to have a couple seasons to be able to create a defense that can carry a quarterback similar to what Georgia did. Would you not agree with that? Yeah. And you know, this is, um, uh, it's interesting here because you got a, this high profile quarterback competition and you've got this defensive head coach, you know, so, um, but who's who's known as a dynamic recruiter, um, kind of almost reminds me of the situation 
you know, the expectations of the situation in LSU when Joe Burrow transferred, um, you know, but that then it was Burrow's second year where Ogeron brought in a big time um, offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. And that's what really spurred Joe Bur- Burrow into that leap. Bo Nix only has one year here. So we're not going to see that kind of leap, I don't think. Um, so I, I kind of view like Nick's if Nick's wins this job, it's he's a bridge. He's got one year. Um, but they have these these young quarterbacks who are supposed to be big time players down the road. Um, I'm not so sure Bo Nix can actually hold these guys off because and the only thing that might be working in his favor is that landing is in his first year and he's gonna have a grace period. So he but he can in that case, play... wouldn't, you, wouldn't you want to play the young guy knowing that you don't have to win the Pac-12 in your first year? I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, you know, thinking out loud. Yeah, yes and no, because there are still some expectations about the Oregon program and the Pac-12 is still a very winnable conference. I know everybody wants to just give it to, to Lincoln Riley in his first year. But um, well, they're they're going to win the Pac-12 South. I mean, as good as a, a coach as uh, as the guy at Utah is, they would have to underwhelm pretty wildly to not at least be in the Pac-12 championship game. Now, to your point, maybe Oregon, but I mean, the Pac-12 just right now, dude, is just so down. Right. Right. And that's why I think, you know, landing, obviously, if they're not winning games with Knicks, it's going to be easy to make a switch. But um, he might feel that a guy with that that many starts under his belt, um, you know, Knicks has played SEC competition. He's taken a step down in competition. Might look a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, the, the final one we wanted to discuss on this show tonight, our first show back, uh, heading into the 2023 NFL draft is, is the Florida quarterback situation. And, and it's an interesting one. So Florida lost, uh, the kid that came to ASU, um, uh, Emory, uh, Emory Jones. Jones. Yeah. So Emory Jones left, um, that left Anthony Richardson as kind of the guy and then one of the guys uh, at Arizona product and a Ohio State recruit, Jack Miller, headed to Florida. Um, you know, you talked about all these guys being projected as, as round one picks. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, we talked about it. We don't necessarily agree with it, but Todd McShay in his way too early mock draft included, um, included Anthony Richardson as a first round pick. Um, he not only predicted him as a first round pick, but a top 10 pick over, uh, in the draft. And I so, believe Mel Kuyper did as did a number of other smaller um websites so when you look at that 
Miller was a four-star guy, I believe, coming out of Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and he was in the 20 or 21 class. He is going to be in his third year of college, so I think he's a redshirt sophomore. So he was in the class with uh, Ringo and uh, and Bijan Robinson, those freaks. Right. Right. Okay. So yeah. So yeah. So he is. Yeah. He's a 2020 kid. Um, he's the same year as C.J. Stroud. I know they came in at the same time. And so when you look at it, I'm just looking at his kind of recruiting profile. Um, yeah, I mean, Miller recruited by Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn, um, had offers from all of the big schools. Stroud just, and that was like he, as a junior, you know, as a right. senior, he dealt with a little bit of an injury issue with his shoulder. So, I mean, uh, these, these schools were all really high on him. And he was pretty, I, I believe he was still pretty hotly pursued in, when he got into the transfer portal. Yeah. And so, again, he's going to, he is technically draft eligible. I'd, I'd have a hard time seeing him after one year because even like uh, Burrow played longer when he, when he made the move to LSU, right? But um, when you look at it, did Anthony Richardson do enough last year to be this guy that, you know, is, is being talked about this way? I mean, 529 passing yards. Um, Six TDs, five picks. And, I mean, and he showed it more as a runner, right? 401 rushing yards, 51 yep. attempts, three touchdowns. I mean, not even 1,000 combined yards in seven games. And look, Dan Mullen lost his job, right? But Richardson, to to me, I, I don't think he ever really did enough to keep Emory Jones from getting put back on the field. And Emory Jones, um, a lot of obviously a lot of Florida fans wanted him off the field. They wanted to see what Richardson could do with more playing time. But the Florida coaching staff was kept going back to the well, kept going back to Emory Jones. So. This is Seth, this looks like a situation where coming out of spring ball, Anthony Richardson is pretty firmly established. I seems cemented in as a starter right now. But I think this is more of a situation where we're where while we're talking about DJU and Bo Nix, can they hold these other players off? In this case, in Florida's case, with new coach Billy Napier there. Is this a case where the backup guy comes and takes the job? And I think that uh, Miller has some potential to do that. And he's drawn praise already from his performance in spring ball. They like him. They obviously wanted him for a reason. He probably could have gone elsewhere and had a more uh, clear path to being a starter. But I think Richardson's physical and athletic gifts have – created this scenario where he's he's um not only considered a shoe in to start for Florida but a shoe in among draft Knicks to be in the early first round of their of, of their mocks and I'm just not so sure it's that easy. I'm not so sure that Richardson is going to be a, as as good of a passer as a, a good enough passer to hold off competition if Florida starts slow. 
When you look at it, I mean, Emory Jones last year threw for just over 2,700 yards, 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Not great, but, I mean, extrapolated out, that's still better than what Richardson was doing, and he ran for 759 rushing yards and four touchdowns on, you know, 143 attempts, just just below the pace that, that Richardson had set. So it's an interesting dynamic that they so badly wanted Jones gone, but Richardson seemingly performed worse. I think it's just about upside and um, what you saw. You saw bigger splash plays with, with Richardson. Uh, when you watched Florida last year and Emory Jones, you saw more, I think, glaring and drive-killing mistakes. So, you know what they say, the backup quarterback is always the uh, second most popular. What do they say? The backup quarterback is the most popular yeah, the most player popular. When, yeah. when your team's not playing well. Um, I think that's a little bit of that. And, and so you had Dan Mullen <clears throat> wearing out his welcome in Florida. Um, but now you have uh, Billy Napier, and it seems like, you know, Miller transferred, I, I believe, after Napier became the head coach. Um, Richardson was a, a Mullen recruit. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind, I think. You've got a hot take for us? Yeah. So, uh, The uh, presumed number one overall player in this draft, or at least number one overall non-quarterback, is Alabama pass rusher Will Anderson, who probably deserved the uh, at least to be at the Heisman in the Heisman finalists over uh, Aiden Hutchinson after uh, what seventeen sacks last year, something like that, thirty-one yeah. tackles for loss. Uh, a decent, this, a decent enough year. Yeah, he had a pretty decent year as a true sophomore and non-draft eligible. But Will Anderson is draft eligible this year and, again, should be the first non-quarterback taken. At least that's where we're at at this point. Yeah, barring um, injury, that seems lockish at this point. Yeah, right. Um, so, so Brock Krusky on Twitter, he tweeted, I'm currently watching Will Anderson's film, but for some reason I'm struggling to get through it. I just don't seem to find him as thrilling as advertised. The outlying factor is that last season was his peak. It's unlikely he ever has a season like that again. Hashtag NFL. Hashtag NFL draft. I don't think either one of us could say it better than the first reply to this tweet, which came from Ryan Roberts at Rise and Draft. Um... He replied, so arguably the greatest season a college pass rusher has ever had may be his peak. I think he'll be okay. I don't think I could say it better than Ryan said it there. Yeah, and like we're not trying to pick on a guy that doesn't have a lot of followers or anything like that, but like when you come in this hot for a take, and you're and and here's the thing, like Justin and I have talked about this. Like, you don't have to think a guy's good or great, or you can think, you can you can have questions like Justin and I did this year with guys like Trevon Walker, uh, 
Aiden Hutchinson, Evan Neal, uh, Ikea Kwanu. Like you famously, have, we we brought up questions about Miles Garrett, right? Like you can, and then have, ultimately worked our way through the process and came around on him. But yeah, you, you have questions about guys. That's understandable. But to be like, I'm underwhelmed by his film. And then be like, and I don't see him being better than he was this year. I like, <laughs> he said he said struggling to get through it. Right, like like is he falling asleep watching it or? Well, yeah, I struggle like, to get through some film too when it's like when I'm watching like my fifth guard of the of the week when it's like <laughs> middle of February, right? Well, and and you're you're sitting there going, okay, like if this is his peak, it's seventeen and a half sacks. Like, like the dude had seven sacks as a true freshman playing at probably 225 pounds. He's up to 235 pounds. Now, Justin and I have said our our concern with him, the 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 one thing that you would say, right? The the thing that you would you would gravitate towards being like the all right, if he's gonna fail, this is gonna be why is his size. Um He's six four. He's listed at two thirty five. That's not a small size by any means, but it's a little smaller than you would want for an edge player. About about ten to fifteen pounds lighter than you like those edges to be usually. Um, you know, all of that being said, if that's how you want to bring it up, or or you you want to discuss things. I'm completely fine with that. If you want to explain why you were underwhelmed or, or struggling to get through his film, I'm, I'm game to listen to that. Um, and Justin and I are big on box score scouting because I think it does tell a story of whether or not you need to spend time watching a player, right? You need to spend time or waste time, and, and it's never a waste, but waste time watching a player. Um yeah, I mean, if a guy has 17 sacks, you better watch him. Like, you know, and it doesn't mean every all 17 of sacks are you know, perfect, artistic uh, studies and, and pass rush greatness, but it says that a guy's doing something right. And actually, Brock did kind of elaborate on his take. He said, uh, in response to Ryan Roberts, He said uh, of Will Anderson, he was great last year. I'm saying that based on what I've seen on film. He isn't as explosive or game-changing as I expected. I think a lot of SEC teams, I'm editorializing here, I think a lot of SEC teams would argue that's not the case. He was game-changing. He says, I think I counted 10 of his 17 sacks coming from behind the quarterback. He gets way too deep into his pass rushing arc. Is that a thing now, Seth? Are we are we critiquing sacks from coming from behind? Don't we see a lot of strip sacks? Does he work when for, does does he work for Pro Football Focus? Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know. He will someday um, with this technique. But it, when you're coming from behind, I mean, for one thing, you're seeing a player who's so fast that he's getting he's able to get around his guy and still close on the quarterback from behind and then he's forcing a lot of fumbles and turnovers and and uh even if he's not getting the sack he's getting backside pressure creating a bad throw that kind of thing um i've never heard that as a critique well he only uh only seven of his, his sacks came from in front or 
the side of the quarterback, but like ten came from. Who cares? Is that is that a thing? That, I, I mean, know, right? I guess if it was like, if you did a pro football focused on a thing and said, well, ten of his seventeen sacks came after, you know, three seconds or something like that, that might mean more. But I've never heard the critique of the sack coming from behind. And like you said, we don't want to. I didn't even know how many followers this guy had. Um, to be honest, I just thought the the take was so spicy that we had to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. That's the way. And someday, I mean, he'll have more followers than us someday, probably because he's he's gonna keep he's tweeting things like takes. that. And yeah. yeah. Anything else before we get out of here? No, it's just good to be back. Thanks all of you for listening, subscribing. Please subscribe. Please give us a five star review. And even if you don't like the show, give us a five-star review because that would be really cool of you. Um, subscribe to the Patreon. That is, again, as Seth said, two bucks a month. You get the bonus episodes every week, except for when we have our June break. Um, and then uh, I'll be writing a lot of previews on the $4 tier, and we call that tier generational because what else would we call it? Uh, so, again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Yep, thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. Thanks, guys. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2.00. A month for our bonus episodes, four dollars a month for all additional content, something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A a read, yeah. That's it. (laughs) Exactly.